It's post-Thanksgiving and there's a lot of folk in the Atlantic League that have a lot to be thankful for. We'll go ahead and discuss on this episode of the Indie Ball Report Podcast. We are back, episode number 142 of the Indie Ball Report Podcast. I'm Nick. He's Will. We're going to talk about the American Association, and then the Atlantic League from here on out. It's been a fun week for the Atlantic League the last couple of weeks. Yeah, it's been, uh, there's a lot going on, certainly. Um, I think that it's been mostly good news for them. So, I mean, that's, that's a good, a good start, certainly. Uh, because we know the bad news that they've had throughout uh, a lot of the year. But I think now we can say a lot of, a lot of positive Atlantic League news this week, I think you can say. Yeah, I would say that. I mean, it's either positive news or it is neutral news, which is always, you know, a positive in and of itself. And, I mean, we're not talking about rule changes over there yet, so that's always a good thing. And we're talking about warts today there. It was a schedule the week prior to that. And then I forget what it was the, the week before that. I think it was probably Fairy Hawk news. So, that's all good stuff, but uh, we while we don't have the Atlantic League rule changes yet, we do have clarification on those American Association rule changes that they promised uh, they were coming when they released their schedule, I believe it was two weeks back now. So we could just kind of start by diving into that. It seems like pretty much everyone in professional baseball... Uh, I guess now the MLB is going back to the normal like extra inning rule, and that's what we're going to talk about, I guess, first. Yeah. Uh, now, the American Association was really the last holdout out of all the leagues because they would, they would not go starting each extra inning with a runner on second. That has now changed. They have now joined what's, – what's the phrase I can use here? They've now joined the party. Yeah. Uh, and they're now starting next year in the American Association – each extra inning, they're going to have a runner start on second base. And, you know, to me, like, I don't have a problem with the rule per se. Like, in, uh, I hate it in the major leagues. Yeah. I don't necessarily hate it in indie ball in the minor leagues because just because it's not like you can just call somebody else up new to pitch like you can in the MLB. Mm. So, um, I don't, I don't hate the rule. It's just, I don't know. I like the idea that the American Association could brand themselves as like old fashioned baseball with like none of these like extra rules and new rules. And not to say that a runner on second is that that like drastic of a rule that we haven't seen in other places, like stuff the Atlantic League's been pulling. Not to not to say that. Yeah. But I I will say I I did enjoy the fact that the American Association was that kind of last holdout league. Uh, but maybe you never know. Like there, of course, maybe managers uh, came to the league and said, "Hey, we kind of need this rule. We don't really have the pitching to go like uh, to go super long extra inning games anymore." Which I guess I I could understand. It, it was nice to see uh, them be that last league that played like straight up normal uh, baseball with no like extra rules attached. Uh, but I I don't hate it. I guess it's a little disappointing, if that makes sense. Yeah, it definitely does. I'm not sure if we would have gotten a lot of managers to go and, and complain or lobby for this rule. 
just because at least in my experiences a lot you don't of them think so? yeah just in my experiences a lot of these guys tend to be more uh, traditional in their approach to baseball and just the games and the rules in general i know a lot of them are not very big if into at all analytics and they're not really you know all on board with a lot of the changes and rule changes now granted i'm sure there's a major difference between the rule changes and the way things operate in the Atlantic League as opposed to the way they operate in the Frontier League as opposed to the American Association. Obviously, there's major differences there, especially when it comes to the extra inning rule where, you know, now the, this extra inning rule is the same as the Atlantic League's really. You start the 10th inning with a runner on seconds, the guy who made the last out of the ninth, and uh, and that is, of course, unless you want to pinch run for him, but and most people just choose not to because it's a free runner. So unless they're absolutely slow as hell, they're not getting uh, subbed out. Uh, and then that's how it works for every subsequent inning until you have a winner. Uh, that said, I, I know I understand that there's a difference between all those leagues, but I just don't think that's the kind of thing they would have been lobbying for because it, it doesn't seem to fit a lot of the personalities uh, that at least I know of over there. That being said, uh, it is a little bit surprising to me to see them make rule changes like that. And we'll talk about the other two. I guess I'll just toss them out there right now where now they've in- implemented the, uh, auto intentional walk, which I mean, who really cares all that much about that? And the roster sizes go to permanently 25 players there. So, uh, for me, I look at it as kind of surprising just because we've seen the American Association in the past really mark themselves, like you said, well, on that kind of last old-fashioned league, though, we throw four pitches to get a walk, the, we're playing, like, quote-unquote, real baseball uh, till the very end, they seem to be very big on that kind of the game as you grew up with it type of style, and for them to now make that kind of 180 is a little bit interesting and i mean it's not a total 180 it's you know two kind of common sense rules they don't really radically change the game all too much at least on you know the kind of minor league level you touched on the arms and the actual players available to the to a lot of these teams and while yeah you can kind of put them on like a reserve list for a day or so or you can kind of cycle them out it is a lot more difficult certainly but also i think Again, if you have a Wednesday afternoon game that starts at 11.30 and it runs 15 innings and now it's all of a sudden 4 o'clock, 4.30, it's not exactly easy to get people to stay at a ballpark for that. Same boat if it's a 7 o'clock start on a Tuesday night. It's like, okay, we're at now 11 o'clock, 11.30. People have to get up for work in the morning. They don't really want to be there that long and... You know, it, it's very difficult to keep people in the ballpark for a four and a half, five hour long game. And I understand most games are normally, you know, figured out by like the 10th, 11th, 12th inning. We're not normally seeing the 13th or later, but even still, it, it every inning after becomes a lot more difficult because I'm sure that you've seen this well and I've seen it plenty uh, for some games. When you look around, come like the seventh inning there's like this mass flood to the gate and all of a sudden come the ninth inning unless there's like a fireworks show or some reason to keep people there past that seventh inning even if it is close the ballpark gets noticeably more empty on a weekday game and i can only imagine how much more difficult it is when you start seeing the 11th inning when you start seeing the 12th inning so that rule i have very little qualm with as far as the intentional walk rule that one 
I will admit when I first saw it get implemented, I was like, oh, I don't know if I like this. I think you should have to throw four pitches. Since then, you know, there's such rarity in a mistake that actually impacts the game when throwing an intentional walk that I can live with the, the auto one. I mean, it, who really cares at this point? It's, you know, yeah. it, it just kind of speeds things up a little bit. So, I mean, that's perfectly well and good by me. Yeah, I, as far as the auto-intentional walk, to be quite honest with you, yeah. I was surprised that that's not already a rule. I thought that was universal yeah. at, at this point, uh, to, to be honest with you. But um, I, So I don't mind that at all. It doesn't really... Not to say it like, has some drastic impact on speeding up the game, because it, it definitely doesn't. Hmm. Uh, but it, it, it is just like... It, it's just easier just put him on first base that's how i feel about it yeah um you know and then for team rosters being expanded to 25 players i certainly think that couldn't hurt especially um especially with the way that we see we saw pitching i guess maybe not as much in the american association but more in the atlantic league uh that pitching is harder to come by i think it would be better to have more pitchers on the roster which i guess that this is more um, more geared towards adding a couple extra pitchers on the roster, especially in a league like the American Association. I don't have an issue with that. I think that's I think that's totally fine. Um, <clears throat> I guess my question would be: Okay, the roster is expanded to twenty five players. Which classification? Uh, which roster cra- classification are the two players added to? Like, are we talking, you can add two more veterans? Are we talking two more rookies? Are we talking, or is it just whatever the hell you want? I, I uh, think that's the question that has to be answered. Oh, well, if I had to guess, and uh, this is really just a guess at this point, would probably be somewhere, anything other than a veteran be my guess. Uh, but if that, or they just operate under the same roster rules they've been kind of operating under, because keep in mind, for the last couple of years during the pandemic years, they were already were at 25. You could keep 25. Now it's just a kind of a permanent change. So my guess would be that you could it'd be whatever their classification system is, probably like an E1 or an E2 would probably be where they add it in. Uh, rookies, I don't think there's ever been a, a limitation on them. From as far as I know, it's always been you have to have a certain amount of rookies, but never a cap on it. If I'm right, the caps have always been on higher experience level players. So I would say they probably raise like the E1, E2 type cap as opposed to the, uh, the, uh, the veteran cap. Although I think the veteran cap would make a lot more sense to do that. Okay. That, 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 that would make, that would make some sense then I think. So yeah, I, I don't have an issue with that though. I think that's cool. I think the, the, the most notable change here is definitely the extra inning rule that, you, you know, I don't want to say the American Association caves because that's probably a strong, that's probably a strong phrase. Yeah. Uh, but you know, it, it was nice to see them be the, the last one as someone who doesn't really like that role at all. Yeah. But, um, you know, it, it, it's okay. I mean, everyone else has done it. So. The American Association doing it is, is not the not the end of the world. So, but it'll be interesting if they, if they continue to market themselves as um, as the last league, really, to uh, have like these these old these old baseball rules. When now now of course it's not like they're adopting like these these other crazy rules the Atlantic League is. 
But at the same time, I guess minus like the Frontier League home run derby or something, like they're not that far off from pretty much everyone else. Yeah. Yeah, it is very interesting on that front. Because, I mean, really, what is the difference between the Frontier League and the American Association now, rules-wise, obviously? Quality of play, obviously, that's uh, that much is pretty straightforward. And extra innings-wise, like you said, the, the home run derby is really just the big kind of difference maker. Outside of that, at least noticeably to most fans and whatnot, it's 6-1 at this point. Now, obviously, the territory doesn't really overlap anywhere, but, yeah, it is kind of interesting there. They did kind of lose that appeal. Yeah, so, I mean, I, I don't think it'll be that big of a deal, per se, but it's, it's just interesting. Yeah, it certainly is. So, uh, on that note, we'll go now to more Atlantic League talk. We'll start with something kind of quick and easy to get through, and then we'll move on to the big thing, which is the awards. But that kind of in-betweener is York. They are doing some reveneration's on their ballpark, and they are going to be... Did you just say reveneration's? Was it pronounced renovations? Because I've always heard it called reveneration's. Reveneration. I feel like we've talked about this at some point. We did. We talked about this off air. I think it was last week or the week before. Why can I not remember this? Oh wait. Uh, now I remember. Yeah. Reveneration's. So let's talk about the arch nemesis reveneration's. <laughs> <laughs> it's getting a facelift. Uh, I think it was 160 <laughs> new plywood panels are going to be going in. The manual scoreboard is going to be refurnished. And uh, in case you're wondering what's happening to the old panels on the Nemesis, uh, they're going to be worked into a giveaway during the season. So basically, they're going to cut it up, cut up the panels that are, and then hand them out at the ballpark for, I assume, a date or two uh, during the season. So kind of a cool thing there. You could take home part of the ballpark. And uh, yeah. It's getting a little bit of a newer facelift, which is kind of necessary when you take into the fact that that part of the ballpark is not aesthetic. That is entirely there because if it's not, there are some houses that are in home run range. So <laughs> it kind of needs to exist. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, it's really not like they just did it to just be fun. Uh, it, it was well, and while the wall is fun. Yeah. But. And not to mention those houses still get, end up getting drilled. <laughs> anyway, as, as somebody who's been to York a, a few times yeah. uh, and was there during the home run derby. Uh, but I, I will say, obviously the renovations or reveneration's yeah. are, uh, are are certainly good, certainly needed, uh, kind of refurnishing that wall. That's all good. I love, I love the idea of letting fans take home some of the old plywood beams. Yeah. That, or the plywood panels. Yeah. That is an awesome idea. Yeah. That I haven't really uh, that that I haven't really seen in a lot of ways before. Uh, I think that's a really really cool idea, and I think it's creative. I think the fans will really like it. I know they have a, a really uh, they have a really good fan base there, so I'm sure they'll they're they're going to be all over it, uh, and. It's it's a really it's a really cool touch a really cool and like trust me I w- I would love to get uh, a piece of plywood from the arch nemesis are you kidding me oh I mean, absolutely that would be, be awesome oh I hundred percent want to go down there when they're doing that giveaway because I mean that is a really cool thing and I think for especially for like a lot of diehard fans that that is you know a really kind of kind of special kind of giveaway where you could have part of the 
most iconic feature of their home ballpark and probably one of the more iconic features in the Atlantic League. So, I mean, that that is a really good giveaway idea. I 100% agree with you on that. Yeah, so I, I, I think that's a really creative idea, a great idea by the team. Uh, so I'm sure the fans will enjoy that. Uh, of course, renovations are pretty much always a good thing, so uh, that that's not bad. But I, I really love the giveaway idea. I think that'll that'll be a big hit among the uh, among the Revs fans. Oh yeah, I I definitely agree on that 100. percent So with that, we'll move now to the Atlantic League awards. So the Atlantic League awards, uh, they were announced this past week. We have the All Star Team, Player of the Year, which we already knew, Manager of the Year. All defensive team, defensive player of the year, pitcher of the year, the groundskeeping excellence award, and the off the field awards as well. We'll get to the off the field awards a little bit later on, but we're going to discuss uh, all the on the field stuff first. We'll stop at each one and talk about it before moving on. So first up is the all-star team. We have at catcher Hector Sanchez from the Long Island Ducks. First base Nelly Rodriguez from the York Revolution. Second base Steve Labondosi from Long Island. We have at third base Alberto Callaspo from the West Virginia Power slash Charleston uh, Dirty Birds. Shortstop uh, Roberto Baldequin from Lexington Legends. Also from the Lexington Legends, outfielders Courtney Hawkins and Tillman Pugue. And then the final outfield spot goes to Caleb Jindel from the Lancaster Barnstormers. The utility spot belongs to Josh Sala from the Gastonia Honey Hunters. And then in the DH spot, as much as a heathen, heathen position as that is, uh, Jimmy Paredes, also West Virginia Power slash Charleston Dirty Birds. The three pitcher spots, starting pitcher, obviously Daryl Thompson, Southern Maryland Blue Crabs, uh, reliever, Oh, this is where we're going to have our first issue. Uh, Andres Brissino, I believe that's how it oh, is. Oh, that, that was really close. You know, I'm going to take it because it ain't going to get better than that. Andres Brissino. Okay, we're going to go with that. What Will said. Although you did say Caleb, Gin- what did you say? I said Jindel because I always mess up his name. No, it, it's just Gindel. It's Gindel? I, st- I think yeah. it's Jim because I see G-I-N and then D-I. No, it's definitely, it's definitely Gindel. All right, well, it's Gindle, so good for Gindle. That whole Lancaster team, they their pronunciations are off, starting with the team in the city it's based out of. Terrible. <laughs> Any case, Here we Rac- go. yeah, Racinia's from Southern Maryland, and then closer, of course, another another Lancaster. Why? Because why not? Or Lancaster? Because again, names. Uh, Scott Shellman. So he's the closer of the year. Let's actually talk about the players themselves. Agree with the team, disagree with the team, thoughts on the team? You know, for the most part, I agree with it. Yeah. Um, I, I, I think, for the again, for the most part, I think they did a pretty decent job. Yeah. Um, I guess, I wouldn't, I don't think Hector Sanchez, I would not have picked Hector Sanchez. Good, that was the I one mean, I went to, too. Yeah, it's just, Hector Sanchez, he is one of the league's bigger names, and so I understand it from that, that perspective. Uh, won a World Series with the Giants, of course. So he's been yeah. with the Ducks for a couple of years. He's had some really big moments. Uh, but, I mean, if you look at the numbers overall for him, honestly, wasn't really that deserving of, of, of that award. And mm. to be honest with you, I think if Carlos Castro of York played in the league longer this year, uh, I mean, he only played, he did play 70 games. 
Uh, and out of those 70 games, 41 were behind the plate. So, um, so I guess I can, if that's the argument for keeping Castro off, I get it. I mean, to be honest with you, like if you look at Castro's numbers, it's, it's not even close. Um, I mean, yeah. Castro, an OPS over a thousand with a hitting 352 and 17 home runs in 70 games. I mean, there's no competition there. Yeah. Uh, but I, I just thought Hector Sanchez, honestly, was about average this year, especially, I mean, to be honest with you, in a league that, uh, it's so offensively focused. Yeah. It's, you know, average is like, kind of, he was definitely below average, I would assume. Like, and 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 catchers are catchers get a little bit of a different scale than other than other positions do certainly. Yeah, but I mean, uh, then two forty seven. Yeah, he was he was probably he was a below average hitter in the league this year. Yeah. So, uh, so I probably yeah Hector Sanchez is the one that that I definitely I definitely disagree with. Uh, as far as the others, no argument for Steve Lombardozzi. Nelly Rodriguez, while he was in York, had an awesome, awesome year. So, uh, no, no argument there. Uh, Baldequin and Hawkins and Gindel and Pew, like all those guys, and uh, Josh Sala uh, with a great year as well. Um, so, not not a ton of um, not a ton of problems as far as uh, as far as the relievers. Andrews Persino had a great year. Could have an argument for uh, a couple other guys, maybe like uh, even on his own team. Matt Lato shows how how good that the back yeah. end of that Southern Maryland bullpen uh, was really. Uh, but I think in a league with a lot of offense, I guess when you're picking these type of teams, there's not a lot of ways you can go wrong. Yeah. Uh, so Hector Sanchez is my one big gripe, uh, but other than that, I, I think it's a I think it's a solid list. Yeah, all in all, I, I'll agree with that. I don't think there's too many uh, standouts there. Sanchez was the one I immediately saw, and I was like, I'm not sure about that. I personally still would have went to Castro just because of how good he was, but, I mean, if you don't want to do that, uh, I mean, there's other guys here listed as a catcher, and that's how I'm kind of classifying this, not so much as games played, although that's probably the best way of doing it, but I'm going more off of on the Atlantic League website, which I know off the bat is not the best starting point. What it, who is the best person classified wise like as a catcher if you're listed as a catcher who has had the best stats and honestly Jovan Gonzalez has a better stat line granted again fewer games played Peroni has a good stat line and again fewer games played I can live with all that though if you know the answer is we're getting a better player overall I mean like I look around here I mean there's also DeLuca from Southern Maryland who hit 300 so, yeah. I mean, what do you have? 16 home runs, I think it was. Um, yeah, 16. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, he could have been a very good choice as well. Now, again, I'm not sure if he was mostly used as a catcher or not. But if you're listed as a catcher, in my mind, that's kind of good enough. And yeah. if, if you want to look for other guys with similar kind of stats to Hector Sanchez, I mean, Jake Romanski is a very similar option there. Granted, not quite as good, so he doesn't deserve it, but... You know, same games played. I mean, it's not like Hector Sanchez had all these games played as well. He had 82 games. So, I mean, like, yeah. that that's part of it here. I mean, if Castro has 70, it's only a 12-game difference. And, yeah, it's more than you would like to see, but I don't think it's enough to be, you know, like, disqualifying. 
And I mean, if anything, it strengthens, strengthens to Luca's case. He played 115 games, which is significantly more than 82. So, you know, I, mm-hmm. uh, that one I do have an issue with. Uh, but yeah. everything else, I think it's pretty straightforward. Daryl Thompson makes the most sense, obviously, in, uh, as a starter. Uh, there's no real wrong answer, like you said, Will, about the relievers. Um, and yeah, overall, it just seems like the, uh, it was pretty well done. I don't have many complaints. If anything, I would pick names that were easier for the list, but that's just more or less to be selfish yeah. and help myself out. Uh, but uh, any case, we move on now to the player of the year. We already knew Stephen Labrandosi. Again, we've discussed that before, so I don't think there's really much need to rehash it. We would have picked other players, uh, but you know, he's fine. He works. Manager of the year, Stan Clyburn, Southern Maryland. Uh, I agree with that because, I mean, really, when you think about it, most of these, you know, player or manager of the year awards is who is the surprise manager of the year. And this year, I think you'd be hard-pressed to say anyone other than Southern Maryland. Uh, I know personally, I was in the camp of they have to actually do something before I put any stock in them. And so certainly... And they actually did something by winning the second half this past year. So good on them for making the postseason with that. I, the only other manager I would have possibly considered personally is Jamie Keefe, just because of the record he had. That would have, uh, in my mind, been worth uh, serious consideration as well. Yeah, I think Jamie Keefe is the one guy that I think you could consider for that spot. Um, I think the the difficulty, and I understand it, um, I understand the record that the Rockers had, and we've had countless discussions about the Atlantic League playoff system and on the show and the, the things that are wrong with it or whatever, and we don't need to rehash it. Yeah. But uh, at the end of the day, it's tough to have a manager of the year who didn't make the postseason yeah. in, w- whatever, in whatever system uh, that, that is, that uh, whether it's bad like the Atlantic League system um, – or, or whatnot, I, it's hard regardless to have a manager win manager of the year when they didn't make the playoffs in, in any sport, really. Yeah. Um, and so I, I think given that, I think Stan Clyburn is definitely the right decision. I uh, took a blue crab scene to the playoffs that really haven't been there in a while. Uh, uh, did a pretty good job building up this team um, after Really, in 2019, they had a, a pretty miserable first half and started to get a little bit better in the second half. And um, <laughs> he did he did a good job, really building this team. And specifically on the pitching side of things, when everyone else kind of uh, really struggled in the pitching department, I think he did a pretty good job. Uh, not I guess not as much in the starting rotation, more in the bullpen. Uh, that really did a nice job building up that pitching staff. Uh, so I, I I agree. I think. I've always been in the camp that I, I my complaint with leagues and their manager of the year award for a while has been that they just give it to the t- give it to the uh, the manager of the team with the best record and that, I I remember this is a whole big thing last year when I think I believe they gave it to Wally Backman and I I was pretty st- like I was pretty vocal in saying that Jamie Keefe should have won it yeah um but so I'm glad to see at least this year that. That it went to more of the uh, the manager whose team uh, really def- exceeded expectations, I guess you could say. Mm. Uh, that uh, really is the mark of a good manager, not so much 
not, not that Wally Backman isn't a good manager, but when the Ducks win, let's say the Ducks go 80 and 40 in a, in a 120 game season, how much of that is having to do with Wally Backman and how good of a manager he is compared to how insane the roster is and how insane the Ducks roster is every single season, regardless of who the manager is? The, um, yeah, the only so, the only caveat I would make to that is in indie ball as manager, you have a lot more say over your roster than you know elsewhere in baseball. So I would say there's a lot more credit to be had in that if your team's really good, you probably had some hand in recruiting it. I will agree though on the case of Long Island, they always have a good team. They've always yes. you know no matter who's been at the helm of it. So I think there's more speaking to organizational structure that's helpful in recruiting. However, I do think having Wally Backman there is helpful. So there's that. And also, I mean, just look at this past year in the American Association. You have Joe Calford Pietra, who, whose team was just unreal the whole way, despite getting picked through by teams. And they still won, what, 60 games? So, yeah. And 100 games. So that's clearly deserving of manager of the year. And obviously that one had a little bit of, you know, there was some discontent around that and there was arguments we have for a couple other teams. But I mean, at the end of the day, it's quite clear if you win 60 games, part of that's on, you know, a manager for filling in those gaps that arise. So I would say in indie ball, you know, the best team has a lot more clout around that kind of an argument just because of how much of an impact your manager actually has on building the roster itself. I, I would agree with that. I think I, it's more it's more just the the issue. And I'm not saying that managers uh, who are the who who do have the team with the best record in the league don't deserve it. That's not what I'm saying. Yeah, it's, more, it's just that as a default, it doesn't really work. Yes, I don't I don't like having it as like a blanket, which is why I'm I'm happy that the Atlantic League took a different route this year and um and getting gave it to Stan Clyburn who I think definitely definitely deserved it this year. Yeah, I I agree with that as well. Uh moving on, defensive player of the year, Steve Labondosi. Again, th- this guy keeps popping up here from Long Island. Uh, so I mean, like I'm going to agree with it. There's no real way to pick a defensive player of the year in a meaningful fashion. I mean, yeah. It's kind of like, okay, what statistic are we going to use? I don't know. Let's just pick fielding percentage or whoever has the most innings with the fewest errors. Like that doesn't really, you know, work that great. It's rather deceiving. So, I mean, who else would you really pick? Yeah, I I think that's the problem with uh, picking like the defensive awards in the Atlantic League. You kind of, I I hate using errors, fielding percentage, whatever. I guess you got to go off your eyes in -hmm. which sense, like, it's all just uh, it's all just a matter of well who you've seen the most. I mean, to be honest with you, uh, the games because I've watched the Ducks more than any. Uh, yeah. I've watched the Ducks more than any other team. Uh, I mean, Steve Lombardozzi, at least in a couple of those games, made some huge plays yeah. on on the defensive side of the ball, uh, specifically in the playoffs leading up to it. So, I mean, on first glance, I don't really have a problem with it. However, I, I'd be lying if I said. Um, I'd be lying if I said like there could be somebody playing for Gastonia and I just would have no idea just because I haven't seen them enough. So uh, yeah. it, it's hard for a league like that for, for an indie ball league and trying to do uh, like defensive awards. So you kind of just kind of have to go on based off who you see 
mostly. And, you know, at least for me personally, like I've, I've watched Lombardozzi play plenty and I don't, I don't have a problem at all with this, with, with, uh, him being named to the team, him being named defensive player of the year. Uh, that definitely no, definitely no issue there, but you know, it's kind of hard for, there's no way to really argue it in, in indie ball without the, without the evidence you would really need that you would, that you would have say in, in major league baseball to do that. Yeah. I mean, like if, again, there's like a handful of ones, I mean, going off of what we have, of course, Labrandosi was 99.2 for his fielding percentage for whatever that is worth. Uh, so, I mean, he's certainly not undeserved by any stretch. DeLuca was probably like the only other candidate. Labrandosi played 114 games. DeLuca, 105, it looks like, from behind the plate. So, which even more goes to the point. He should have been the uh, catcher on the All-Star team as opposed to Sanchez, but that's we're past that now. Um, and he had 99.0 on his percentage for DeLuca. So, I mean, like, there's that. The only player that has, like, a slightly higher percentage of that played a meaningful amount of games was Nelly Rodriguez, and it's by... 0.001% and that's in about 30 fewer games so obviously you know it's a fair assumption to make that that slim lead would have went away in 30 games so you know I, I got no real problem with it just because there's no real way to have a problem with it because there's just not enough information available uh, at this point in time uh, that brings us to the point of the all defense team which is led off by catcher, you guessed it, Hector Sanchez. Uh, again, Long Island. First base, Jerry Downs from High Point. Second base, Steve Labrandosi, Long Island, obviously. Uh, third base, Alberta Cayaspo, again, West Virginia slash Charleston. Roberto Baldwin, again, from Lexington. Outfielders are Boog Pell from Gastonia. LJ Mazzilli from Long Island. Zach Collier, uh, from, or Collier from Southern Maryland. And then Daryl Thompson, also from Southern Maryland. Those are your defensive or all defense team. Um, again, Collier, really, Nick? Well, that's how it'd be pronounced in French, and I'm used to hockey, yeah. so that's how I go. That's, it's not French, Nick. I never can tell. Okay, actually, he did have a decent year in 80 games. I was like, at first, I was like, well, let me take a look how good he is to see if I care. And I'm like, oh, wait, he's actually very good. So, never mind. <laughs> I mean, like, really, 0.995 on his fielding percentage in 80 games. Yeah. So, I mean, like, that's pretty I, good. Yeah. I mean, you're not going to, I'm not going to really complain about much. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it's funny, although it is funny to see Hector Sanchez be behind the plate when given in game one. Of the Atlantic League Championship Series, he simply just forgot how many outs there were, and the the legend scored two runs because of it. That's never good. Or they scored That's... a run. It was one. They scored one or two runs because Hector Sanchez forgot how many outs there were uh, after after the second out of the inning and tossed the ball to the dugout. <laughs> oh, now see that that's a bad one. That that one's yeah. real bad. Like... No, it, it it was it was a bad one, and here I was. Having tried trying to explain what the hell just happened on the ra- on radio uh, for for people who are not there, and uh, yeah, it's like so. I know this is hard to believe, but he caught the th- he caught he caught the strike he caught strike three, and then simply just tossed the ball to the dugout, in which the ball boy picked it up because why wouldn't you? Yeah. Um, and a run scored because of it. It, it was a mess. It was a mess. Yeah, it was bad, which, okay, I will say, I got one slight issue here on the, I'm putting him on this team, and then I'll move on from it, 
but he only played 64 games behind the plate. Now, granted, he had a 99.6 on the fielding percentage, which, again, I know I keep referencing it as though it has a lot of weight, and that's just because it's all we got right now. But when I wouldn't normally have an issue with that. But, again, DeLuca played 41 more games, and his fielding percentage is only .006 less in over 330 more innings. Sanchez is a bigger name. That's probably why he got it. Oh, yeah, that definitely is. And that, that one just bothers me. Like, fine, if you want to go for the offensive one, it's close enough. I, I just think the Luke could probably earned that one. But, eh, we're, we're past it now, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd agree with that. Yeah. Uh, anywho, we go now to the final on-the-field award, which is the groundskeeper of the year, uh, or groundskeeping excellence. And that is Chris Carbog from the York Revolution. Uh, so, yeah, that's all there really is to it. They had the best field. Traditionally, this is just the default Somerset Award, but obviously that doesn't <laughs> really, you know, work anymore. That is true. It, it, Somerset used to get, and, and Somerset's field is great. Oh, yeah. Uh, but, you know, so, so is York's field. So, yeah. Um, well, just ask Trenton kind of, about Somerset's field. Ask who? Ask Trenton about that. Ah uh, yes, uh, the I wonder if Trent, I, I wonder if Trenton, uh, the groundskeeper there, won groundskeeper of the year for the MLB draft league. Possibly, maybe he won it for whatever AAA East League they were in for that brief moment. Oh, I don't think they did. Oh no, he, I, I'm gonna assume there are much better fields. Oh <laughs> uh, well, I just don't. I think you just have a problem with the urban setting of Trenton, New Jersey. Yeah, we, clearly I, that's the not, issue, not the trash field. It's so it's so funny that next year they're having a full season in the MLB draft league. So like like that whole petty flexing like with the highest level of play in New Jersey for like two months, dude. Congratulations. Yeah. Which how long like, do you think that draft league actually survives for? I'm giving it like another three years. Um. Well, to be honest with you, yeah. I I think. I think it'll survive, and the reason why I think it'll survive is that they're not paying the players. Yeah, but now they're doing that half-pro thing. Oh, yeah. Now, granted, I don't don't think it adds too much on, you know, like the payroll and everything. I think it could probably make it up, you know, in the aggregate across the year. But, I mean, still, now they've got this quasi-semi-pro thing going on. I just don't don't know who's going to go to the games. I know. It's almost like that would work. If there is no other professional baseball around, but there's other professional baseball around, you know, it's like, almost like Trenton should have accepted the invite into the America or into the Atlantic League because that would have made sense and they would have been a perfect yep. fit. But, well, 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 that's their loss. Oh, yeah. No, they're going to wind up having to eat their pride and come eventually. It's going to come like. Come on their hands and knees to Rick White, begging them to join the league, and Rick White says, no. Oh, God. I, you know, I really hope that winds up happening, and if it does, I'm going to call Rick again and be like, hey, Rick, can we <laughs> talk about this? Like, can, we, oh, can you just come on and talk about how gratifying it was to have this organization that flipped you the bird like four, like three and a half years ago uh, come graveling back and go, can you please keep our team alive by accepting us into this league? 
for we will not field a team of subpar players in the Atlantic League. Therefore, instead to to form a, a, a team that has the talent of our standards at the Trenton Thunder, we will form uh, either somewhat kind of professional players, but maybe guys who were just out of college, but maybe guys who were just out of high school. We don't really know. Uh, we're we're going to field a team of undrafted guys that weren't quite yeah. good enough for indie ball, but still yeah, want to keep playing. So much, that is so much better than the Atlantic League. Yeah, they should have. They should have one where the Ducks go down and play them, play the Trenton Thunder oh in a God. game, and then when the Ducks win like twenty-five zero, everyone can everyone can stop like with this garbage. Or yeah. it's just a dunk on Trenton Thunder ownership game. Oh my! Honestly, I think you could probably send the Sussex County Miners, and they would do the same. Oh yeah, absolutely. Honestly, you could send honestly most professional leagues. Yeah, because it's almost like these are professional players that you know have experience it's like the fourth best college league yeah uh honestly and, and I'd to love be honest with, yeah go ahead to be honest with you because like like for the, for the cape cod league team i work for yeah like when, when we're looking at players i like like when we're looking and like you look at certainly guys who have played in other summer leagues right yeah uh and who are ready to make the jump to the cape yeah i promise you and like the, the the league we have looked at that that has been looked at is the is the Appy League okay because that that has definitely some value even though I guess it didn't have a great first year but it has some value have not looked once at the MLB Draft League because why would you there's so many other leagues you would look at there's like like I looked like and to be honest with you like they'll post videos sometimes mm-hmm. of a guy hitting a home run or whatever. And I'm like, all right, how, let me let me look at this guy and see where he came from. Division two school, division three school. Like, what? Yeah. Like, how do you say this like subpar players garbage, like with a straight face? Yeah, it's just like, see, and it's not even like a division two or division three player is necessarily a bad player because you could tear up at that level no, and certainly go elsewhere. Yeah, you certainly could do that, and there's a lot of good players there. But it's also like, yeah, the average Division Two or Division Three player versus the average like Power Five Division One school player is not, you know, at least on paper, gonna be winning that battle. So, like, what exactly are we doing here? You know, I mean, even you look at all the Division One players that wind up not making it. It's like, okay, what are we? What are you doing here? And now you're gonna call essentially three years out from playing in a power five conference like the big 10 like the big 12 like the acc the like subpar baseball but yet guys that are playing at like pennsylvania southern are not subpar okay it's an interesting call but yeah and and there are and there there are good players and in, in like d2 and stuff like that it's it's not to say but like the whole when the whole roster is full of them like like what are we doing here and yeah. and, I, and i'm not saying like the league itself is even that bad of an idea the problem is is like the trenton thunder getting stuck is just hilarious when they can't when they refuse to go to the atlantic league because it's beneath their level then they see that ah oh, crap no like no other it's too late for any other affiliate to like pick us up and like 
we're, we're like also just like not not good enough and then and then oh uh, yeah. we just got to take some some option to have baseball only to when the trip when triple a calls and like the blue jays get desperate because of the covid situation they play there for a couple months despite the fact there was like the attendance there for triple a baseball and i went quite a few times like when, yeah. when the when the when the Woo Sox were down there i went to go see my guys down there the red sox prospects yeah and there's nobody there it's triple a baseball because why would you want to support a team that's going to leave in two months and isn't going no, to be and, here uh, next and year? that's not on the fans at all i yeah. understand yeah i totally I mean, understand exactly i'm just pointing out the flaw with the planning it's like oh yeah and then the team that's going to be the permanent resident there you decided to move to like the campus of Ryder university that's not uh, particularly, i was just about to get to that yeah there's yep. not particularly near trenton and moreover you have like three different trenton thunders like the affiliate Trenton Thunder, the Buffalo Bison that are playing as the Trenton Thunder, but only at home and not on the road, which makes it even more difficult for the casual fan to kind of follow. And then the third Trenton Thunder, that the unaffiliated but kind of quasi-affiliated Trenton Thunder. It's like, okay, none of this is exactly easy to follow. So what? how am I going to follow it? And the answer for most people is, eh, screw it, I'm over it. And that's honestly exactly what, what 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 happened. But you know what? Like, I, I certainly feel bad for the fans there. It sucks. Don't feel bad for the ownership. They can they can screw they can screw off. Yeah, I mean they just. I, they, I would I would say stuff in much more profane language, yeah. but can't do that. Yeah, I mean they they bungled the whole thing really when it comes down to it at the end of the day. So, uh, we do have a handful of awards just left to go through. These are just the administrative and off the field type awards. Uh, executive of the year belongs to John Gibson, the general manager of the York Revolution. Uh, he got this for being the chairman, or chairing rather, the Atlantic League's COVID-19 committee. Also, uh, he was the lead in developing the safety protocols for the season, so that's certainly good. And also, one thing I didn't know until, you know, reading through this, York was also the first team to make the 100% vaccinated uh, mark. So that's that's surprising and also good for them. They managed to reach that point. So uh, John Gibson gets the executive of the year. Yeah, great great, great for them. I think that uh, getting through getting through a year where no outbreaks, 100% vaccinated, I mean, that, that's a testament to them. That's a testament to the organization there. So uh, cer- certainly no complaints there. So uh, definitely deserving. Yep. Agree on that front. Uh, the Outstanding Club Community Service Award goes to the Southern Maryland Blue Crabs. And as the website says, uh, they hosted a mass v- COVID-19 vaccination site serving 6,000 people per day, managed one of the state's largest uh, COVID testing sites, hosted the highly successful Toys for Tots drive, uh, also free community resource days. So they've distributed things like food, school supplies, etc. Uh, also volunteers to food banks and they used pinch and the on-field hosts numerous times in community events to lift spirits during the pandemic, as they say. So, uh, they were just really active in the community essentially. So good for them again. Yeah. Uh, the blue, uh, one thing I definitely do notice is the, the Southern Maryland blue crabs are very, very active in, in their, in their community. And that's really awesome. And they do so many things. Like I can't even, I can't remember all the things they do. I mean, they're doing something else like every other week. Uh, so they're, they're very active in their community. It's, uh, 
really good to see. So, uh, of course, when the more the more the the people see Pinch, the better. So, oh, absolutely. I mean, Pinch is is this a legend of his own. I mean, really, the only shame is that there's never any like photographic evidence they've played a baseball game. That's really the shame, though. Uh, but <laughs> maybe maybe one day they they can figure that out where there can nice. be pictures widely distributed or something like that, which would be beneficial for certainly the team and the photographer really too. But uh, just no photographic evidence of a baseball game ever being played. So you know, nice shame. It's a shame. At least I've never seen them distributed. I should say, but uh, yeah, promotion of the year. It goes to the High Point Rockers. Their nine eleven day of remembrance. A uh, day-long uh, tribute, including a pregame stair climb by first responders, hero 5K run, charity softball game, celebrity home run contest featuring rocker players, specialty jerseys auctioned off after the game for the first responder appreciation night, and of course, a post-game concert by everyone's favorite rocker pitcher and quasi-country singer Bryce Hensley. So, uh, very, uh, very impressive that Bryce Hensley is, I will say. Bryce Hensley just sounds like the man. Yeah. Bryce Hensley is the guy we got to get on the show because I bet he's real fun to talk to. Oh, I'm sure. I mean, country singer, like, he'll leave the, like, what what was the story? Like, he left the team for a few weeks to go, like, open for, like, I'm not a big country guy, so I I don't I remember this, too. I forget who he opened for, though. It was somebody I knew. Like, I knew the name. Yeah, hold on here. I'll, I'm gonna. Is Jake search. Owen is that a name? It, it could be Jake Owens. Yeah, that is a name. Uh, hold on here. Let me. I'll just do a quick little Google search. You here. probably know. You might know country better than I do. Yeah, so. I I certainly do. Um. Oh wait, that's it. He opened for Chase Rice. Okay. Oh. Chase Rice okay. is a yeah. Well, that was back in November. He opened for Chase Rice. It looks like, yeah because it says Chase Rice with special guest uh, Bryce Hensley. Uh, but let's see who else was it? He, he post game concert was the one he was there for. Yeah, Jake but, Owen was the one we were thinking of though. You're right. It yeah. was. Okay. Yeah, it was Jake Owens, and then he also was with uh, Chase Rice. So I mean, those are big names to be quite honest yeah. with you. Uh, they certainly are a drive, and I mean they've gotten solid play on country music radio so yeah which Absolutely. holy shit the jake owen concert was a little pricey 50 dollars for standing room only for what for standing room only for that jake owen concert was 50 dollars as someone who doesn't go to concerts at all and we've had the debate yeah uh i don't know if that's offensive or not uh i'll put it to you like this it's <laughs> It runs the gamut for standing. It's a little pricey, you know. It's a little pricey. Exactly. Like, in fact, I was looking at concert tickets last night for uh, for a couple of different bands. And I mean, standing room, it can range. And these were like New York prices. Uh, they can range from anywhere from like twenty dollars to like sixty dollars. So I mean, it's it's more towards the higher end. I'm more or less surprised because I mean, it's North Carolina. I thought shit was supposed to be cheaper down there, but. I mean, it's hey, not. yeah, I guess not. Uh, anywho, uh, back to the rest of the awards here, just to wrap them up fairly quickly. Uh, mascot of the year, Silo. This is an injustice because it should be Pinch. I mean, this if it's is, not Pinch. It's not right. I know this is Silo. This is not good. This is from Lancaster. I like Silo. I mean, like no he, it's fine. I mean, if you want to feel my full breakdown, there is actually, and I'm not messing with you here. There is a 
Atlantic League mascot ranking on the website Indie Ball Report. You got to scroll a little bit to find it, but it is under the article tabs and it's actually a little out of date now because there's two teams that are no longer in this league, but Pinch is the clear and obvious winner on that one. I I don't care what they say. I reject that answer. Uh, Ballpark of the year, People's Bank in York. Uh, I have yet to actually go out there, so I would not uh, know about oh, that. Oh, you have but, to. Yeah, it's that good of a park. It's really fun. It yeah. is real. It is that that ballpark. Like, uh, it, it's probably my favorite ballpark. In the, oh, and yeah. that, granted, I haven't been to all of them, but yeah. uh, it, it is my favorite ballpark I've been to. Like, I've like times like, uh, of course, times been a little uh, tougher for me yeah. recently, but I uh, whatever uh, back back in the summer of 19 when i had uh when i had nothing to do during the summers i, yeah. I think i was out to york at least like four times like it was wow. it's not close to me either so uh it's a really it's a really fun ballpark that you should definitely get to it's really cool yeah i think we're gonna have to plot something out here when they're giving away parts of that wall oh yeah oh yeah no kidding i think this really is gonna work out here uh but and then also promotional excellence, the York Revolution win it. Diverse uh, promotional calendar, including throwbacks to different decades on Throwback Thursdays, uh, fan votes to determine walk-up music, to in-between-inning costumes, charity auctions, uh, specialty jerseys, and visiting teams included on the dodgeball night for the York Revolution. So that is all of the awards for this past season. We did it. Yeah, I think it's uh, I think we're very successful on that. We do have a couple more pieces of business that we do need to handle before we can sign off here. That first piece of business, we have a poll result. If you recall last week, I had managed to successfully win our little wager here by doing absolutely nothing except for picking the New York Rangers to win, which they naturally did, of course. And we're not going to discuss the matter and how they won it, even though they did win it. Oh, um, it was it was it was like game, a, but... a, a fifteen round shootout. Let's relax with the talking like it was like some five one win. It might as well have been. It looks the same on the scoreboard. But end of the day, all that matters is that I won, and now I hold that, which good. And we'll revisit doing this again in March when they play again, because, you know, why not play for three months? But regardless, I put which team I'm going to get this victory shirt from to a poll. And the three teams were the Y'alls, the Rockers, and the Honey Hunters. And I also left another option in there in case somebody wanted to throw one out in the replies and that were to get a lot of traction. That being said, we had 48 votes in this poll and... The results go as followed. Four people, or 8% of the poll, voted for other. Eight people, or 16% of the poll, voted for the Rockers. And then it came down to two teams. And they were only separated by two votes. However, with 39% of the poll and 19 overall votes, the Gastonia Honey Hunters won it out. So that is going to be the team that I choose there. The Yalls, like I said, they came very close, 35%, 17 votes, but in the end, the Honey Hunters pulled it out and just eked by with a victory. So I will. Well, there uh, we go then. Yeah. I'll send you a link to the thing here. And actually, they got a 40% off sale for uh, Black Friday. So. Well, then I think I'll be buying it today then. Yeah. So then I will, uh, I'll send you the link to that actually when we finish with this. So. 
that is all there is to that. And then next week, we actually do an interview. We actually recorded them for Monday, but you'll hear it a week from today. If you're listening day of release, our first guest of the off season is going to be a coach, actually. So that's a nice change of pace for us. Uh, the bullpen coach for the High Point Rockers, Albert Gonzalez, will join the show. We're going to talk about just about everything under the sun. He was obviously uh, with uh, with the Rockland Boulders for a little bit. He's obviously been with High Point now for a little bit. And, um, yeah, it's been... Uh, It'll be a uh, good episode. It'll be a good conversation, and we're looking forward to that, certainly. And then we have one the week after that, and possibly even the week after that. I need to check on the one two weeks from now. But uh, regardless, yeah, uh, Albert uh, Gonzalez joins the show. So uh, we're looking forward to having him on. Need, need to have some playoff talk in there. Oh, absolutely. We're going to we're gonna touch on everything under the sun. That's right. Yeah. Plus, I mean, he's floated around indie ball for quite some time now, nearly 10 years. So uh, I'm sure he's got some good stories, too. But yeah, with that said, we'll uh, we'll go now to the plugs and then we'll get out of here, seeing as we've pretty much got to our hour mark. Uh, if you want to follow the show, you can do so on Twitter at Indie Ball Pod. You could do so on Instagram at ALPB underscore news and at Indie Ball Report. Uh, likewise, you can find everything, links to the show, show notes, the actual episodes themselves, articles, the whole nine on the website, IndieBallReport.com. Uh, you can also find the Contact Us page as links to everywhere you can contact us so you can send your questions for the Q&A, which will be at the end of December. And we need to start getting going on sending those questions so that way we have enough to talk about on that episode because that episode is quite literally, again, however long your questions run for so if there's five questions it'll be a very quick show if there is 20 questions then it'll be a uh, regular link show roughly i think is normally how it works out and if there's like 50 then we're going to be going for quite some time so be sure to send in uh whatever questions you have as small or as large as they may be and we'll be writing them down as we go along and answering them at the end of december uh, with that said you can Rate, review, and subscribe to the show just about wherever you find podcasts. Tune in, Stitcher, Spotify, Podomatic, uh, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, uh, Deezer, iHeartRadio. Like I said, just about anywhere you can find podcasts, you can find the show. And with that said, do we have anything left to add on this on this episode? This is going to be another hockey-related rant. Okay. So, the Devils on Wednesday night played the Minnesota Wilds. Okay. Oh, I know where this is going. You know where I'm going with this, don't you? Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure I'll be able to get to this rant in time. There's traffic in the tunnel. Yeah, yeah, I know. Ho- hopefully you, you got to plan ahead. So, the Minnesota Wild are absolute morons. For some reason, on Wednesday, and by the way, the day before Thanksgiving is historically... One of the worst travel days of the year. Is that is that not correct? Nick? Yeah, it is. So one could reasonably assume that if you were to try to go from New York City to New Jersey during rush hour on the day before Thanksgiving, that would be a problem. Is it, would that be a, a reasonable assumption? Yeah, you would assume it would probably take you about an hour to 90 minutes, yeah. So... Anyway, the Minnesota Wild, who for some reason, 
they're playing. So they're playing the New Jersey Devils on Wednesday. They they don't have a they don't have a game against the Rangers soon. They yeah. do not have a game against the Islanders soon. For some reason, they have knowing knowing this that they would have to travel from the New York City to Newark. They had they booked a hotel in New York City to just drive to Newark. What the hell? Why? There are there not enough hotels in Newark to pull this off? Do teams not stay in Newark when they come in to play the Devils? This doesn't make any sense. So uh, it it doesn't make any sense that the Wild One stayed in New York City to begin with, knowing full well that getting out of New York City was going to be an absolute nightmare on this day. Mm-hmm. And so the Holland Tunnel that they the the Holland Tunnel that they tried to get through, I it was either the traffic was unreal or it was closed or something crazy like that, and the Wilds did not plan for any of this and act acted completely stunned that there was traffic in New York City on the day before Thanksgiving. For that reason, they did not get to the Prudential Center until six thirty five. 6:35. The game started. It was supposed to start at seven o'clock. They didn't get to the. They didn't get to the Prudential Center until 6:30. So naturally, the Devils, who are warming up like normal, have to then wait an extra half hour, and the game can't start until 7:35. That is, it is so ridiculous that the the Devils were the ones who had to end up getting punished for that. And I'm not saying that's the reason they ended up losing a shootout because the Devils never went in a shootout, but at the same time, th- that's so ridiculous that the Minnesota Wild could not plan for this one state in New York City to begin with. That didn't make any sense. Or if, even if you didn't want to stay in Newark, you couldn't stay in somewhere in Essex County in a hotel? Really? Like, really? that's the thing. Like, you could have definitely stayed in, like, West Orange or something like exactly. that. That's, like, that, all of 25 minutes away inland. Like, you factor in traffic. It's going to be, like, maybe 45 minutes. Like, yeah. I mean, come on. Like it's uh, you know, it is uh, it, that whole thing. When I saw it, I was like, "Up, oh, that's funny." Mainly because we were playing on Long Island, so I was like, "Oh, this doesn't affect us. This is hilarious." Yeah, like I, the the amount of brain, the the lack of brain cells you need to have while planning that out is pretty incredible, in my view. So th- there's my rant for today. If you're gonna if you're going to be playing in the in the metro area. New York metro area on the day before Thanksgiving. One, don't stay in New York City when you're not playing the Rangers. That doesn't make any sense. And two, if you happen, if the only hotel in the planet is in New York City and you have to stay there, maybe plan ahead and leave super early. There, there. That, that's all I have to say. See, that's my thought process. Like if you're playing the Islanders or you're playing the Rangers on top of playing the Devs, then it's like, okay, yeah, I see it. Like, you wanted to stay there. It's a central point. It's easier for everything else. I get it. Sure. The fact that they weren't doing that is kind of surprising that they wouldn't just say, okay, well, we'll stay in New Jersey. Uh, that, too, it's like, okay, well, maybe we should leave at, like, 4.30 so that way we're covered. Although, if I'm right, I'm pretty sure part of the problem was that either the whole tube was shut down in the Holland or they, because there's only a one lane going each way. Um, I think that was the main issue. I believe it's just the one lane going each way. Because yeah, you can't. There shouldn't have been in New York City to begin with. Yeah. So. Wait, no, it is two lanes. Yeah, because you can't cross over once you're in the tunnel. Once you're in one lane, you're in that lane. Yeah. So, 
really what I take away from this is we need a new tunnel. We need another tunnel for for uh, passenger yeah. cars. Yeah, you you could. I I don't know the logistics behind that. But I want a tunnel. Wouldn't hurt. I want a new tunnel and I want a bridge. You want it right now? Just right the same now. way that I, just the same way that I look on Twitter during like April during like April of every MLB season where Mets fans are complaining to Steve Cohen about wanting a retractable roof because they get a few games right now. Yeah. See, I hate retractable <laughs> roofs. What's that? I hate retractable roofs. I think they're stupid. I, At least I for baseball. I understand them in some parts, but yeah. not in New York. That doesn't make any sense. See, the one that I never will understand why, and I guess this will be my thing to add, the thing that I never really grasped was when they built MetLife Stadium, why the hell did they build it so that way all the fans are exposed? You didn't need to put a roof on it because that would have been like another $300 million to put a roof on the thing. It didn't have to be retractable, which would have cost even more money. But, like, you could have built it like Red Bull Stadium over in Harrison, where you have, like, the seating area covered by, like, some sort of overhang. And then people aren't out in, like, the snow and the rain. But yet the field's still affected by the condition. So that way, you know, because it is a football stadium primarily, you still do get kind of, like, those weather games. Like, that just would have made so much more sense to me. Because it is in New Jersey, a place that historically gets cold and experiences the different seasons. It, it makes zero sense to me. Although I suppose there is an argument where putting a roof on it would have been worth the money because you figure all the concerts you could have held during the winter, you probably could have had the Final Four there because, I mean, let's be real, the NCAA would love to come to New York, New Jersey. Because, Absolutely. I mean, like, come on. They definitely would host a Final Four there. Um, at the very least, it'd be like an Elite Eight. But Regardless, you could have held that there. You could have done an awful lot of stuff during the winter when that stadium really can't be used because it's just, you know, nobody wants to go to an event where at the warmest point it's 35 degrees outside and then halfway through it drops to 28 and starts snowing because it's like, okay, this is just not enjoyable to be out here in. And I should know I've done that before. Just like I've gone to my fair share of uh, giant games where it was literally... zero degrees outside that was a very very miserable experience by the way so so cold those games oh god terrible but yeah like i just it defies reason that they never at the very least put an overhang over the seating area well the giants and jets couldn't agree on anything when they built that stadium so they just built the most generic stadium in the history of stadiums i mean like there's an easy solution here just move the jets to wherever the hell I mean, like, let's be real. Does anyone care about the Jets? In some places, maybe. I mean, great. Put them on Ling Island. Yeah. Not, not, certainly not in, like, the, I mean, not many in, like, that, the North Jersey, Manhattan, like, type area. Yeah. It's like, definitely pretty much all Giants. Like, you mean to tell me there was no area in, like, either Brooklyn or Long Island or anything like that where you could have put a football stadium for the New York Jets? Well, the Islander, the, the Islanders just built a massive stadium in a place to where you could have. Which that building looks beautiful, by the way. As much as a Ranger oh. fan, it pains me to say it does look like a really nice building. And I charted out the, by it the other day. It was, I drove by it the other day, Nick. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, that nice? I, I, can't, I can't wait to go to a game there. I oh. mean, 
It's only like an hour and 15 from the house. Yeah, I mean, it's probably like it's probably like 20 minutes from my school. It doesn't it doesn't beat the Nassau Coliseum and uh, uh, it doesn't beat the Nassau Coliseum and walking to hockey games. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's I'm, OK. I mean, like true. But I mean, can you pass up an opportunity to go to Fort Neverwin? Fort Neverwin? Yeah, the Coliseum, they called Fort Never Lose. This is Fort Neverwin because they can't seem to win there. True. You True. don't understand how much joy it brings me to. And then we'll wrap up after this. It brings me immense amounts of joy to know that, A, the Rangers beat them in that building and scored the first win by a New York team in that building. That is true. And that, that is true. the first shutout was done by John Taveras and the Toronto Maple Leafs. You don't understand <laughs> how much joy that brings me and how oh. much I was rooting oh, for sorry. either Kevin Rooney or Chris Kreider to get that third goal. So that way they can have the first hat trick in that building. You don't understand how much I wanted that. Yeah, that would have been fun. Quick, quick, really quick point though yeah. before we wrap up. Yeah. Um, I was able to cover uh, like a couple games, like the Long Island Nets games, which are yeah. like the G League. Okay. Uh, that they currently play in Nassau Coliseum. Okay. So the other day, I was able to like I was like able to go like cover the team, like go to the press conference or whatever, and mm. being in the like the bowels of the Nassau Coliseum, even though it's not a hockey hockey arena anymore. Yeah. It was really cool. Yeah. Just knowing all the history in there was really, really cool. Oh yeah, I imagine it is. Like that's the like I've done tours of arenas and stuff before and that's cool, but I imagine like being there as like official media is even cooler because there's a certain added element to it. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. But that. it is weird. See, I mean it's so empty. It's so empty now. It's kind of sad. It's just like this big arena that's being used for G League basketball. Here's what we but. do. Here's what we do. We tear the thing down and we put the new Jet Stadium there. I think we all win at that Ooh. point. I, the traffic would be so miserable, Nick. You have no idea. Yes, but see, I don't live over there, so it's not really my problem. It would be it would be the worst, given how bad the traffic already is around that area. And trust me, I know. Yeah. It's... It, I, I don't think they'd be able to... A football stadium, I don't think they could pull that off. See, that's only if you care about the quality of life of the people around there. Which, historically yeah, I speaking... About, I don't think the people around there really give a, give a crap about my quality of life around there either. Yeah. See, you have to understand something. The NFL doesn't care. They just want nice buildings. True. That so, is true. Yeah. So with that said, I think we're kind of good and we got nothing else left to add here. So uh, until next time, don't forget to uh, play ball.